Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. I'm Erlon Woods. I'm Nigel Poor. We're the hosts and creators of Ear Hustle from PRX's Radiotopia. Ear Hustle is a show about life inside prison, but it's not your typical prison podcast. In this next season, we've got stories about the objects people keep inside their prison cells. About residents in a women's prison who say they want to stay there. And the most beautiful prison garden. Erlon, I will never forget it. Ear Hustle. Stories about life on the inside told by those who live it. Find Ear Hustle wherever you get your podcasts. Mostly cloudy skies. Welcome to this Monday edition of Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. Coming up in just a moment, the Georgia Emergency Management and Homeland Security Agency is charged with helping the state prepare, respond, and recover in the midst of emergencies. So how are they responding to the COVID-19 pandemic? Using the same contacts and resources that we have whenever we have a natural disaster to move things rapidly throughout the state and things like that, we've been able to utilize those same contacts and abilities to facilitate the movement of PPE and ventilators, hospital supplies, things like that. I'll ask Chris Stallings. He's the new director of the agency when he joins me in just a moment. But first, this voters in Georgia's 5th Congressional District head to the polls tomorrow to choose who will fill the remainder of the late Congressman John Lewis's term in office. There are five Democrats, one independent and one libertarian on the ballot for the special election. If none receive more than 50 percent of the vote, guess what? There will be a December 1st runoff between the top two candidates, which is interesting because that means the eventual winner will serve for about a month before the winner of a separate November election is sworn in for a full term. Now, polls are open Tuesday from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. in parts of Fulton, DeKalb, and Clayton counties. Turnout could be low, which is typical in a runoff election, but add in concerns regarding the coronavirus. Fulton, which is one of the state's largest counties, also has the most confirmed cases. DeKalb is fourth. And for the latest data from the Georgia Department of Public Health, indicates 32 people have died within the past 24 hours from the coronavirus. That brings the total to 6,946 deaths since March. There's been 314,685 COVID-19 cases also confirmed since March. And 28,179 have been hospitalized. Of those, 5,187 are ICU admissions. And we bring this information to you daily, and all of it is according to the State Department of Public Health. Meanwhile, Georgia State University's football team will resume practice today after some players received false positive COVID-19 tests. The Panthers game against UNC Charlotte was canceled Saturday after 14 members tested positive for the coronavirus. This led to an additional 17 being placed in quarantine. There was a problem. A retest of those same swabs a day later returned all negative results. Now the game against UNC Charlotte has not been rescheduled. Meanwhile, Atlanta Falcons rookie cornerback A.J. Terrell didn't play Sunday because he tested positive for COVID-19 and had to be placed on the reserve COVID list. Yes, there is such a thing. Terrell is the first NFL player to be placed on this list since the season began. And speaking of the Atlanta Falcons. Third down and eight with the Bears already in field goal range. The pass is caught in the end zone for a touchdown by Anthony Miller. 
The Chicago Bears take the lead with a minute 53 seconds remaining. For the second time, the Falcons had a sizable lead in the fourth quarter but lost the game. At one point, the team was up 26-10 in the fourth. Head coach Dan Quinn said of this Sunday's loss to the Chicago Bears. It falls on me in, in all spaces. I want to make sure we're clear on that. But uh, we're all in this together. And so when there's a game, um, there's things to do differently offensively, defensively on teams. So uh, we are all connected on it together. But uh, at the end of the game, the results and uh, you know setting up things for how we'll go, that, that falls right through me. The Falcons are on record as the only team ever to lose back-to-back games after leading by at least 15 in the fourth quarter. The Falcons are now 0-3. Needless to say, social media was not kind to the Atlanta Falcons. When asked about job security in the post-game media briefing, Coach Quinn said his focus is elsewhere. Uh, I need to be the same guy on our best days and our worst days and stand tall for them and bring the energy and the coaching and the focus that we need to go win. Uh, anything past that does not help the team. And uh, so all I can focus on is us playing better and finishing better. And so that's where my focus will be and remains to be. Next up for the Falcons, the Monday night slot. And they're at Green Bay to play the Packers, who, by the way, are undefeated. This is Closer Look. Closer Look continues now here on 90.1 WABE. Atlanta's choice for NPR, I'm Rose Scott. One of the state agencies involved with Georgia's response efforts to the coronavirus is the Georgia Emergency Management and Homeland Security Agency. We all know it as GEMA. And GEMA helps the state prepare, respond, and recover in the midst of, well, emergencies, both natural and those at the hands of we humans. Now, months ago, when Georgia, like other states, was preparing a strategy to combat the spread of the virus, GEMA's director was Homer Bryson. That was back then, after nearly four decades as a veteran of state government. Well, Bryson retired. And earlier this month, Governor Kemp named the agency's new leader. He's Chris Stallings, a former Georgia State Patrol captain. And I just learned he was a center fielder in baseball and has some speed. But now we're going to talk about what Rojima's playing as the state continues to grapple with the pandemic. Let's find out as we welcome Director Chris Stallings. Thank you for taking the time. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Good to be on with you. There's a lot to discuss as it relates to Georgia and and efforts regarding COVID-19, but let's first back up and talk about the current hurricane season. As we both know, right now everything is relatively calm, which is a good thing. But of course, Georgia's coastal community, always a concern. How is the agency providing support coupled with the pandemic and in the hurricane season? This is something new for you all. Yes, ma'am, it is. The biggest thing that we're doing is we're staying in close contact with our local EMAs. Uh, Communication in any state agency is, is vital and making sure that we have that open line of communication, seeing what their needs are, how we can support, and then constantly monitoring to see what's coming. As you just said, right now we're kind of in a lull, but for several weeks we were staring at, a, an, an, at an Atlantic full of hurricanes. Mm-hmm. And so we're, we're very appreciative right now. Hurricane Sally did move through. Unfortunately for our neighbors to the west, um, the storm was so slow they took the brunt of the, the damage and, and it had kind of broken apart by the time it got to us. So we've been very fortunate. Our, our coast is, is vitally important to us, having the port there. That's that's a major player in our economy. So it's something that we do uh, take great pride in monitoring and, and, and ensuring that they have everything they need. But right now, our focus, um, along with 
hurricane season is also COVID-19 and, and keeping an open line of communication. It's kept our agency busy, but we have a great team. Uh, Director Bryson, as you mentioned a while ago, he had put together a good team. I mean, not, not a good team, a great team. And there's a, a lot of smarts and wisdom in that room. So as someone who is not afraid to say, I don't know it all, Mm-hmm. I was uh, very willing to step in and, and let them continue to do the job that they are doing and just be that support and, and offer whatever assistance I can. So it's not a strain on the agency at all in terms of dealing with the coronavirus pandemic and also your normal duties at all? And are you able to assess if do you have all the personnel that you all need? Well, right now, um, COVID-19 has been a stress on everybody. Let's just being honest, um, it's it's something new. But as a as an emergency responding agency, and as you said in the introduction, for not only man-made but also natural disasters, COVID-19 has been a unique situation. It's something that typically we can, I won't say to a defined area, but it's been a statewide mm-hmm. response, and then a, along with that, a, a national and and then worldwide response. So it is it's been taxing. However, I think that our governor has done a great job giving those resources to those state agencies that was needed so that we can do the job uh, that we're tasked to do. I think GEMA has given their best effort. I would grade them A with everything that I've seen uh, with their cross-the-board communications and relationships, uh, working hand-in-hand. We joke um, that uh, I have have a lot of guys that are that are military um, that are with our agency and we joke about that when you're on a ship Regardless of what your job is, when the ship catches on fire, everybody becomes a fireman. Mm -hmm. doesn't matter if you're the captain or the cook. When the ship catches on fire, you're a fireman. So until you get the fire out, you don't really care about your daily responsibilities. Well, in this situation, it's been that. The ship caught on fire, and it was our responsibility to help control and do our job. Uh, We've done that. I think we are getting close to having this thing uh, under control. Um, to where we can focus more on our, our normal daily responsibilities. Well, let's talk about that for a moment. When you say under control through your lens, what does under control look like as it relates to the coronavirus here in Georgia? For us, I think um, under control is trying to get back to a sense of normalcy. Mm-hmm. The governor has given us very specific guidelines, and as we follow those guidelines, we're starting to see, as the governor put out um, over the weekend, and, and that our positivity rate is dropping, our hospital beds are dropping, we have a good control there. Um, Governor Kemp has provided our state with the resources that we need. Uh, He signed the executive orders in a timely manner. He has done his best uh, job at protecting Georgians and that's that's what he was voted in to do. And so it's been very much appreciative seeing a governor who who would put folks first and not just popular opinion. And so it's, it's done a lot for the state. I think we're, I don't want to say seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, but mm-hmm. we are starting to see see some things turn back to normal. Some of your restaurants, some of your uh, schools, the school system's opening back up. I know my children uh, were very excited to have face-to-face learning, getting to see their friends, getting to see their teachers. Mm-hmm. So those are just good signs of, of things to come. For someone listening that says, give us some examples of how GEMA is helping to respond to COVID-19 here in our state. And I know that you all initially 
had an active role in getting the data in terms of hospitalizations, but that's now changed. So what specifically for our listeners, what do you want them to know about what role y'all are playing in all of this? Well, we still are responsible for um, the securing of all PPE. Mm -hmm. We help uh, distribute it. We have a very good logistics program. That is a major thing that GEMA sometimes is is not known. It is not known how well GEMA does. So, using the same contacts and resources that we have whenever we have a natural disaster to move things rapidly throughout the state and things like that, we've been able to utilize those same contacts and abilities to um, facilitate the movement of PPE mm-hmm. and ventilators, um, hospital supplies, things like that, to long care facilities, our senior living. Um, assisted living, nursing homes, hospitals, doctor's offices, school systems, all those things we've been able to, um, whether it be foggers, uh, liquid, the, the product that you put inside those foggers mm-hmm. to make them be able to uh, properly clean. Those are the things that, that we do and we do best. And we've been able to keep the state, I think, as well stocked and prepared as, as possible. Director Stallings, let me ask you this. Are there regions of our state that require maybe more resources than other areas. And when you think about when the pandemic first really started to spread here in Georgia, we knew about Doherty County and the increase there. Are there other parts of the state that you all are probably more focused on because of the spread or the high percentage of those who are contracting the virus? Well, for us, our focus was ensuring that we had an adequate supply for the state. Mm-hmm. Our biggest concern was in the beginning, as you saw, there was a shortage everywhere. You, No one could. We had, um, I know my niece, for instance, um, for the family, she felt very compelled to make masks. So she had uh, she had a sewing machine and, and here she was at home making masks for our family because everybody was looking for masks. But what, is, what has happened is, like always, supply has caught up with demand. And so now we're able to help facilitate a vendor's list, um, good contacts to these areas to ensure in the event of an emergency, we have a reserve so that we can ensure that those folks don't run out, that they have an adequate supply of those uh, essential needs. To answer your, your question more specifically, our role is, is statewide and then the Department of Public Health focuses on those local areas and then they will inform us where it is that that we need to get those supplies to. And how often are you having to give an update or assessment to Governor Kemp? Do you have then everything you need for the agency? Yes, ma'am. We feel like we have everything that we need. And I speak with Governor Kemp regularly. We have a a very good open uh, communication um, as serving as his director of um, dignitary protection. He and I already had a great line of communication. So this has been a an excellent transition, uh, which allowed me to continue that. Um, him and his staff, Dr. Toomey, with the Department of Public Health, I've known her for quite some time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's been a good working relationship. So we have a very open line of communication. You know, it's interesting because this is National Preparedness Month, and your theme is disasters don't wait, make your plan today. Other than the hurricane season, what else are you all preparing for as we come to the close of the year? Well, something that is often overlooked is just preparedness in general for any type of situation. Unfortunately, home fires, we have those. We have, um, obviously, we, we can't control any time the weather comes up. Straight line winds are a problem here in Georgia. Tornadoes are a problem here in Georgia. And then we have winter weather that's coming up. So 
we'll start our preparations for those. So it's important that we always keep a plan and keep an open line of communication, but just talk about the process. It's important. I have children at home. They know exactly what to do in an emergency. They know exactly who they need to call. They know exactly where they need to go. And, and it's not just at home, but it's also important to talk about that preparedness when they're at school, what to do in those, in, in those times, what to do, who to call there, what to, what to do. So it's, it's important that we have open communication with our families, that we do have some plan in place. Any plan beats no plan. Mm-hmm. And so if you're doing something, uh, that's going to prepare you for, for whatever might come up. Now, I don't know if you are a farmer's almanac guy, but according to them, this winter for Georgia, it could be very chilly and rainy, possibly some snow. We've we've dealt with this before. We don't have to go too far back in our past to see how important GEMA was when we had some really, really severe weather hit pretty much the entire state. When you think about that and you haven't been on board now leading this agency to deal with something like that. But are you going back and looking at how GEMA responded back then to those past severe weather events? And are you assessing how you might want to approach it differently this time, if need be? Yes, ma'am, we are. And I will say, too, being a part of the Department of Public Safety, that was also an agency that that assisted in those. So Mm -hmm. I've been around the natural disaster and winter weather exercises and winter weather preparations that we've done. So I'm very familiar with the process. Now, being on the reactionary side of the law enforcement side and now being on the proactive side in preparation to prevent, it's a it's different, obviously, but at mm-hmm. the same time, you, you have to, to face the same realities as that we can't control the weather. So it's, a, it's in our best interest to prepare for the worst. Mm-hmm. And then if it doesn't happen, good for us. We dodged another one. But our, our goal here, uh, I guess, going back to the saying earlier is, is when the ship's on fire, we're all firemen. Mm-hmm. Um, we're, we're planning for those days and we're, we have a good open communication. That's, that's key. Our, our commissioner, uh, the D- Department of Transportation, have great communication there and his team. So we've, we've talked a lot. We've started prepping already having those conversations about, hey, what are we looking for? What are what are our thoughts on on this winter? Um, yes, I am an almanacker. My dad has a garden, so he <laughs> is very much a, a farmer's <laughs> almanac guy, when to plant, when not to plant, what to plant. So, um, but And we were talking about that just last week, that, yes, it does look like it's a little colder and a little more wet winter than we've mm-hmm. had recently. So, But with that, it, it I guess that the good thing about that is if you go ahead and start preparing now, just like we said a while ago, any plan beats no plan. So we are we are looking ahead. And finally, as we wrap up, Director Stallings, you just mentioned coming from the Department of Public Safety, but this is a new role. It's quite different. What are you taking from your role, your time with the Public Safety Department, and now as Director of GEMA? How does it help you in this new role? I think the biggest thing that I draw from my time as being a straight, state trooper is dealing with stress. That is a stressful job, whether it be dealing with a um, a child that has just been involved in an accident, um, dealing with a parent that's just lost someone, being in a pursuit, um, dealing with civil unrest, dealing with all the things that come along with being a state trooper and having to maintain a level head, having to maintain a clear thought process and having to make a decision, even in un- in those stressful environments, has prepared me knowing that this is not going to be the same, but there are going to be stressful days. And in that, 
I think my one of my strengths is my calmness in, uh, I guess, the under fire situations. And so that is something that I think is going to help me in the long run here with this agency. We have a great agency again, um, very smart folks, very capable team. And so with that, just the ability to make a decision uh, under stress and, and stick to it. I think that's that's probably the, the number one thing I bring from DPS. Well, it's interesting. And so I do want to ask you, you mentioned being able to balance and deal with the stress. You and I both know right now in our nation that calls for reform, whether it's policing or in law enforcement throughout, and you talked about being able to stay calm. What are your thoughts on all of this as a member of law enforcement and being able to adhere to what you just told me about being calm and having balance and in times where tensions are high? There are. There are. And I will say this. I think that what is occurring is is people have the right to protest. If I feel wrong, I want my right to protest. I want my ability to stand in the street and show my displeasure for what has happened. I have no problems with someone wanting to protest peacefully. Mm-hmm. That is most important is that we maintain that because if you if we lose the peaceful protest ability, we take away the voice for, from everybody to be able to, to have their protest. And so what I would like to, I guess, point out is that it's a few bad actors that are causing the problems. And so, yes, we want our voices heard. Everybody wants their voice heard. I think that there have been some mistakes in law enforcement in the past, and we're learning from those. To say that law enforcement has never made a mistake that would be just a complete and total lie. So law enforcement has to learn from their mistakes, but also we have to take responsibility for our actions as adults, whether that be on the law enforcement side or the protester side. And if we can keep things peaceful, you can get a message across in a peaceful way. Going back to staying calm, have to realize that it's not personal. We're out there to do a job, but law enforcement, it's a tough job. And it is a stressful job. And it's a split second decision. You mentioned earlier being a sports fan. No one has ever missed a pass on Monday morning. It's easy to Monday morning quarterback. We all all have 100% accuracy there. But in law enforcement, we don't get the opportunity to always see the outcome. So we have to focus on the fact that those are split second decisions. And I get that sometimes we make a wrong split second decision. But we have to realize that there are humans behind that badge. And so I'm very proud of what our law enforcement do do for our state and for our country. Uh, It is a tough job. And so to say that um, split-second decisions are an everyday occurrence, that's an understatement. But I think that uh, for for us, we can all learn from both sides that if we we remain peaceful on both sides, we can can make some positive changes that are good for our country, and uh, and then we'll go from there. How long would you like to lead? Jima. Oh, I'm here. Uh, I'm here for the long haul. I, uh, this is not a stepping stone situation. Jima is an absolute um, honor. It's, it's a great agency. And as long as the governor has confidence in me to do the job, I'd be more than, more than happy to continue to be as director of Jima. Chris Stallings, newly named director of the Georgia Emergency Management and Homeland Security Agency. We all know as Jima. Director Stallings, thank you for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. 
you can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. Closer Look continues now here on 90.1 WABE. This is Atlanta's Choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. These words are everywhere. There are signs in stores. Their NBA teams have the words on their jerseys. Employees are wearing T-shirts, and the words are painted in massive letters on crosswalks, sidewalks, and on Atlanta's Beltline. The words are Black Lives Matter. Since the killing of George Floyd by a white police officer in Minneapolis, it has started a wave this summer of protests and calls for social justice. Then add in the video footage of Ahmaud Arbery's shooting death. Add in the police killing of Breonna Taylor and the shooting death of Rayshard Brooks right here in Atlanta. And all of these, calling for police reform or just overall addressing racism and other social justice issues. And there's something else. Corporations are committing to social justice initiatives, pledging more diversity and inclusion. But what does that really mean? What does it mean for a corporation to tackle these issues? Well, today we begin a series of conversations with presidents and CEOs of corporations, of big businesses. And we're starting with Ravi Salagram. He's the CEO of Atlanta-based Newell Brands. You're probably familiar with them. The consumer goods company, well, they manufacture a lot. A lot of products we're all familiar with. For example, Papermate, Sharpie, Sunbeam, and yes, Mr. Coffee. Now, Ravi Salagram was named president and chief executive officer just last year, but he has an extensive background in consumer brands. And now we welcome him to the program as we kick off this series. Thank you for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Rose, I'm absolutely thrilled and delighted and honored to be here with you. Well, thank you. Let's begin here. Uh, how do you define diversity and inclusion? Yeah, to me, Rose, the uh, it's... Uh, to me, there's really three aspects. Mm -hmm. There's diversity, there's inclusion and belonging. And diversity and inclusion are just the means to the end of belonging. A feeling I want to create a few different things in our work environment. A feeling where everyone, regardless of color, race, religion, ethnicity, um, to really feel that they can bring their whole selves to work. I don't want people to have to lead double lives. Mm -hmm. I want them to be themselves because when you are yourself, the best side of you comes out. And diversity and inclusion, really, when you have diverse thoughts, when you have thought leadership, innovation starts coming through. It's so important in consumer products. But for me, the other important thing, especially for black employees, Hispanic employees, people of color, any people who are different from the quote-unquote norm is that they need to have a level playing field. Mm -hmm. It's not about partiality or favoritism. It is about a level playing field that the opportunities for them are the same, that they can thrive. So I have created an advisory group for myself, mm -hmm. which I call Black Lives Thrive. And at Newell, now, we may not be able to change the world, but we can certainly change the world of Newell. And, and make it a better place. So when the your very poignant words came back, ringing in the memories of George Floyd, uh, a few days after that, I wrote a note to my employees called Embracing Humanity. Mm -hmm. 
And uh, I don't know if you've seen that note, and if not, I'll send it to you. But it was for me, it just poured out of my heart because what's, it is really, for me, I love America. Mm-hmm. And America has been very kind. I've been three times public company CEO. And for me, the American dream is alive and well. But the American dream can't just be for a select few. It has to be available for all. And there are some systemic barriers for certain sects. So we've got to remove that. And actually, we're going to play a clip from that because you narrated that as well. We're going to play a clip from that in just a moment. But I want to go back to something that you just talked about because you said this is what I want. This is what we want the company to represent. So let me ask you this. How do you ensure that that philosophy from you being at the top filters down to all the different levels? Because you can have that ideology, but maybe you don't have a director or manager or maybe you have a director or manager who may not understand it. So how do you get that message then to the next level of executives or directors or managers? Rose, that's a great question because I'm just an orchestra conductor. And for me, you need people who play the music. And so the leadership team is so critical. I have changed out our leadership team, many new people, and I brought in people who have the number one unifying factor. They're all different, Mm -hmm. but they're number one unifying factor is that their value is that people come first. It's a people first culture. And when you have a people first culture, my team, whether it's the veterans who were there before, the new ones that have brought about, all unify in this view. So I I don't have to preach to the converted. They believe in it like I do. The other thing was when I first started for me, gender diversity is very important. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I went about changing my leadership team and four out of my eight business unit heads, the business unit CEOs are now women. So now that we've got that, I'm tackling the whole issue of blacks and Hispanics and people of color. How do we equalize things that there's a level playing field? But we're the way we're cascading this communication, but we're appealing to the heart. We're appealing to the head. We're saying, look, On one hand, diversity and inclusion is good business Mm -hmm. because it drives innovation. But then there is a moral imperative of really creating a level playing field. And isn't it, if you create a unified team, uh, it really creates a lot of, that becomes our competitive advantage. And one of the things about COVID, despite all the issues we've had, it has unified our workforce. Hey, are there people at the fringes who will object to some of this? Yes. Mm -hmm. But if they see your intentions are pure, and if they see that you're trying to unify, and that you're not trying to create favoritism, but what you're trying to do is give opportunity to all, that people rise to their full potential. Mm. And now we're going to get to the part of this conversation where we talk about how you respond to what's taking place in our nation. So I want to play the beginning of the narrated address that you gave to the Newell Brands organization. Take a listen. Dear Team Newell, we're going through a tumultuous period and a traumatic time when now more than ever, it is so important for us to embrace our humanity. First COVID-19 and a spring for some spent sheltering at home. Just when we were beginning to see a faint light at the end of the Corona tunnel, the nation looked in horror at the brutal killing of George Floyd, a black man in Minneapolis while in police custody. Only months earlier, 
Ahmed Arbery was shot and killed in Georgia while jogging, and Brianna Taylor, an EMT, was shot and killed in her own home in the middle of the night. The list sadly goes on. Eric Garner in New York, Freddie Gray in Baltimore, Michael Brown in Ferguson, Trayvon Martin in Florida. Why does history keep repeating itself? Why do pleas of I can't breathe keep echoing? Why has so little changed? What prompted you to record this message? Because you wrote it first, it just poured out of you? Yeah, it had been building up, Rose. Mm -hmm. And that night, it was about three or four days after the incident. It had been welling up in me. And I, you know, CEOs are taught, don't talk about politics, don't talk about religion, focus on business. But I think, look, today it's about stakeholder value. And I think we've got to, as CEOs, do something. And so there was just this force inside me. And I started writing. It was at about 10 o'clock. And I still, while uh, I, I started writing on a uh, pad and uh, with my uh, Sharpie gel pen and started putting it down and the words just flowed. Hmm. And then I got my daughter to look at it and uh, then my head of communications and uh, with some edits. And then I read it to our affinity group, our ERG, and said, hey, does this, this just is spontaneous. Is it okay? And they said, sure. And they said, record it. I think consumers want companies and brands to do societal good which is different from the 50s and the 60s. Mm -hmm. Today, they say, hey, brands are trusted, but you also have to do something that helps uh, the good of society. And so it just came out, and, and I truly believe in it. And the important thing is our teams believe in it. I've had many, many letters from employees, and the employee base says, hey, we are with you, mm -hmm. and uh, we want to support you. And we've started dialogue in various uh, businesses between black, white, brown employees to say, how do we make Newell a better place to work? How can we bring our whole selves to work? So we're creating these dialogues. So we're doing a number of initiatives. So we've got five pillars, Rose, mm -hmm. uh, that I can talk about unless you want to clarify anything. No, we can get to those in a second, but I do want to, before we get to those, I want to get your thoughts on this because I was reading a piece in the Harvard Business Review earlier, from earlier this summer, where it talked about, and I'm going to quote them here, consumers and employees are now looking for more than corporate social responsibility. They're looking for what the author calls corporate social justice. So if that is the trend, as you say, that's the shift from the 50s and 60s, but you also, you're the CEO, you, you have a responsibility to... Yes, your employees, but also to your investors and to your board. So when someone says, okay, that's great, CEO, Soligram, but don't forget, we do have some profits here that we want to see increased. What's your response to them? So I think, Rose, that's a great question. I don't think that shareholder value and stakeholder value are mutually exclusive. Shareholder value is driven when employees band together to drive delight customers and consumers and that's how your revenues go up and profits go up when you have employees being super productive you don't need to keep adding people to do the same work because they're doubly productive so to me this is very important because happy employees 
means happy consumers because happy employees create great new products, great new services, mm -hmm. great experiences for consumers. And that only results in shareholder value. So if you don't believe in that, and if you think they're two separate things, then you won't win. You've got to believe that employees are your greatest asset who will move the needle. Mm -hmm. But Rose, in my last two assignments, and I think the same will happen, I'm hoping will here, uh, happen here, is we've driven tremendous shareholder value. But that's always come from a people-first mentality. The voice you hear is Ravi Salagram. He's the CEO of Atlanta-based Newell Brands, and he kicks off our series of conversations with corporate presidents and CEOs as we talk about what does it really mean for a corporation to tackle these issues when it comes to social justice. So let me ask you this. You talked about implementing these five pillars, these five tentacles. Let's go over some of them. Give me two that you feel are crucial. So I think the work environment, which we already talked about, mm -hmm. where, be, where you foster authentic self-expression, you create an environment of mutual respect and understanding. The second, which is extremely important, Rose, is unconscious bias, addressing unconscious bias, where you dispel misconceptions and misperceptions. You try to reduce and eliminate stereotypes. And this comes about with a lot of training, systematic training, so that people don't have, because conditioning and how we grow up creates a lot of things in your head. Mm -hmm. And you look at things from a certain lens and judge people based on your lens, whereas another person looking at a different lens may come to a different view. So people say that even when two people are communicating in the same language, only 25% is actually understood or internalized the way it was meant to be. So, it's, so you've got to really work on that. So that to me is very important. The third is really making sure there's equity. Mm -hmm. There's that your pay parity, that your promotional opportunities, that you have good representation, et cetera. And the final thing is in terms of representation, we're creating a very systematic drive. We just, our board appointed uh, a black director uh, Sir Jay Johnson, who's an amazing star, went to Morehouse College here and did his MBA at Harvard. He's a CFO, brilliant financial mind. So we learn from him. So, and we're doing this now at different levels. Uh, we're, we're beginning a systematic thing. Best athletes or black, Hispanic, just get that diversity and representation. So let me ask you this then, and then you just you're just implementing these. So is there a assessment tool that you can use to gauge the effectiveness of this? Um, someone listening may say, well, okay, you've, you, you've done the hiring, but how do you ensure that that culture that you so brilliantly and wonderfully expressed coming into this segment that you, you want to have at Newell Brands? So how do you assess that, that it's going to be working? So we're about to partner with an external firm, Rose, to do a diagnostic and will uh, to benchmark attitudes, to look at behaviors, to see check the temperature of the organization. And we also do engagement surveys with employees. So this is gonna be a standard feature going forward. So I look at this as a marathon journey. And by the way, on the hiring, we've just got started. We're just scratching the surface. There's a lot of work to be done. By no means have we <clears throat> solved our representation problem. But the journey has begun and it will be a marathon and we'll keep holding ourselves accountable by measuring the results and saying, are we making good progress? 
What is your advice to, whether it's an executive or a director or a manager or someone listening that says, I want to have that type of culture. I want to have that philosophy. Yeah, I think it's important that voices get heard. It's the job of leadership to create the environment where voices can be heard, where people can talk without fear. That is the job of management. Uh, But I think like anything in this world, how you say things, how persuasive you are, uh, you can be uh, defiant, uh, you can be aggressive, or you can be persuasive. So I think persuading and trying to reason, uh, trying to appeal to the heart, appealing to the head, and not giving up, being tenacious, and, and, and making sure that there is a refrain. So I come originally from a country, India Rose, mm-hmm. where Mahatma Gandhi got independence through nonviolence and against a more powerful country at that time. But by rallying people through nonviolent means, but persuading the British that India had to be freed. So I think there is, and Martin Luther King was inspired a lot by Gandhi. And I think that is the thing that conversations have to go on. But I think leaders at the top cannot shirk their responsibility of creating the environment where voices can be heard. We've got to make sure these voices can be heard. And, you know, this advisory group I've created for myself is there at different levels. Mm -hmm. I want to hear their stories and I want to be closer to the ground. I want to foster an environment where I understand the lives that they are leading and what they're going through. One of my managers uh, told me that he had been pulled over 25 times for no reason, mm. just because he's black. That is a gut-wrenching story. And you say, oh, my God, when you hear these stories or uh, another manager told me he lives in a nice neighborhood and neighbors stopped him to say, show me your driver's license to see, to tell me, to show me that you actually live here. That's so demeaning. How can we let that happen? So I think it is important that these stories are told. And stories bring to life the pain that people are going through. As the president and CEO of Newell Brands, would you also be okay if you had to sever ties with another organization or a partnership with another business that you felt was not embracing the philosophy that you've been talking about? Well, I think so it's situational and it depends on the specifics Mm -hmm. of uh, that my priority first is we've got to get our own home in order and before we preach to others because it's not like we're perfect Mm -hmm. so first priority make sure that we actually uh, focus on it but clearly if uh, there are organizations that are egregious that are doing things that uh, um, are truly harming society or don't believe in these principles of course, you have to look at that and say, because, you know, uh, uh, who you ally with, how you partner with people. But there's always two sides to a coin. You need to make sure it's deliberate, it's thoughtful, and that you have all you know, the data. But having said that, to me, I want to make sure that Newell is a better place for our employees. And finally, as we wrap up, how do you assess your leadership style? Yeah, for me, uh, Rose, I, um, uh, to me, at, it, it's really important that, uh, look, Newell Brands was the result of 
uh, new Rubbermaid acquiring Jordan, mm -hmm. and we had some integration challenges, etc. So we're in the midst of a turnaround. Mm -hmm. And so when I came in, we had some certain challenges with employee engagement. I think those are behind us. Uh, we've got a very motivated team. For me, the most important thing is understanding and recognizing as CEO that it's not about me, Rose. I am just, as I said, an orchestra conductor. It's really about our people. It is about empowering them. It is about helping them reach for the stars and achieving things they never thought possible. And so I'm just an enabler. And if I start getting a swollen head or a big, I mean, I just have a big body, but I don't want to get a big head. And uh, to say, hey, uh, it's about you. And I'm just a servant leader. I'm in their service. Mm -hmm. And I fervently believe that. And the assessment is, I think, as our results climb, because it's because of our people. But what gratifies me the most is when people, employees send me notes. And I get a lot of communication from CEO. They're not afraid of writing to me. In fact, they write to me and say, please keep this confidential. And it's uh, humorous that they'll say the, to the CEO, but that shows that connection I've created, mm -hmm. which I'm so honored and grateful for because they think of me as one of them. And that to me is the greatest compliment for a leader is when you connected with your people and mobilize them and galvanize them for greater good. Ravi Salagram is the CEO of Atlanta-based Newell Brands. He's also the president, and he jumpstarts our conversations, our series of conversations with corporate presidents and CEOs as they talk about tackling social justice issues. Mr. Salagram, thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Good conversation. Thank you so much, Rose. It is a pleasure and honor. Onwards and upwards. Thank you. That's it for this edition of Closer Look, which is produced by Grace Walker and LaShawn Hudson. Our engineer is Shelley Canavy. If you missed any of the day's program, it's online at wabe.org slash Closer Look. And of course, you can listen to Closer Look weeknights at 8 p.m. And listen whenever you want, because Closer Look is now available as a podcast. Just visit NPR One or your favorite streaming app and subscribe. This is 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's Choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Local, state, national politics. WABE and NPR have the coverage you need. I'm Jim Burris, host of WABE's All Things Considered. Whether it's on the air at 90.1, streaming online, or connecting through our mobile app, WABE keeps you on top of election 2024 in what's sure to be a pivotal year in politics. And for candidates and ballot information, visit our election hub at wabe.org election 2024.